Hey guys, welcome to the Columbia View Church podcast. We're excited to share God's word with you. If you'd like to get more connected here at Columbia View Church, please visit our website at www.columbiaview.org. Our Sunday morning worship time is 10 a.m. We are meeting on site now and following the social distancing guidelines put forth by our state. And we love the opportunity to, to meet you in person, and we hope that you are blessed by this word today. It's around 186,000 miles per second, okay? Like, my brain just can't even fathom that. It takes a little over eight minutes for light to go from the sun to the surface of our planet. Eight minutes. For perspective, there's 93 million miles between the sun and the surface of the earth. 93 million, okay? The earth's circumference is about 27 thousand miles. And so if light were to leave the sun and travel towards earth, and if a bead of light were to start revolving around the earth, that said beam of light revolving around the earth would travel 3.7 million times. And then that light beam from the sun would just touch the earth. Okay. Just to put some context to this, like light is, it's incredible. It is fast moving, but it isn't just in outer space. If you were to go beneath the surface of, of the ocean, and this is really fascinating. My family, we just went to the, uh, or my, my daughter and I, to the, the Oregon Zoo, and there's some fun kind of sea-type things there. Of course, the, the aquarium in Newport is even better for those things. But if you go 1,500 feet below the surface of the ocean, okay, 1,500 feet, 90% of the things living down there are bioluminescent, which is a fancy word to say like they create their own light because it's so dark down there, right? And during World War II, aviators used to spot ships by the bioluminescence in the waves. And so in 1954, Jim Lavelle, later he was a, one of the pilots of, of Apollo 13, he used this trick of using bioluminescence in the water to find his darkened aircraft carrier. Think about that. Like you're flying an airplane. This is before like all the crazy autopilot technology we have. It's just pitch black and there's the water. And using bioluminescence of the water, the light within the darkness, he was able to land an airplane in the middle of the ocean on an airplane, air, air, airplane carrier, right? That's just, it's crazy. It's mind-blowing. Um, eyeglasses. Uh, raise your hand if you wear eyeglasses or you have contacts. Another really cool way that we've been able to harness God's gift of light to us, right? They correct vision because light changes speed when it enters through plastic or glass in varying thicknesses. It bends the rays and it corrects our vision. That's super neat. Contacts just blew my mind even more, like how they make those things and they work, right? That's just a super, super cool. And so well, why all the talk about light? Why are we talking about light right now? Because light is a significant metaphor that the Bible uses to talk about hope, to talk about hope. And this is the theme that we as a church were jumping into, into the fall season. Hope happens here. Because what I want to just start out by telling us today is the recognition that life is hard and hard things have happened to us. And we all, we're experiencing some hard stuff even right now. And even just, just being on the phone this past week with several of you or people not even in our church, but like in our community or whatever, like this just, there's just kind of this lingering sense of hopelessness in our city, hopelessness in our lives and our families. 
And so hope happens here. And I'm pumped that you guys are here today. I'm pumped that, uh, that we have this thing called National Back to Church Sunday. I don't know like, who organized that or, or started that, but I think it's, it's a cool thing. Because my question to us would be, like, where did it start for you? Where did, where did Jesus start for you? For some of you here today, you might be saying, dude, like, this is my first time in church, so I don't really know what to expect. This is kind of all new to me. And that's awesome. Welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, for, for others here, you're like, man, yeah, I, I've been in church at different times in my life, but, you know, I, I've kind of been in a season of being really engaged, and then, man, I got really busy and wasn't super involved. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, man, like, like church and like growing, growing in faith in this local body, like this is, this is a core part of my life and I'm pumped to be here today. It's a whole spectrum, right? But just by way of, of, of reminding us of, of kind of my story, for me, this whole thing of, of church and getting to know Jesus, it started at my adoption. The, my parents that adopted me, were, they were believers and so in Rialto, California area that, that we were until I was eight years old, I have memories of like going to church, right? And there was this, this older, and this is what I, one thing I love about the church, man. It's, it's the intersection of all the generations, right? Like we need everybody. But I remember there was an older lady, she would always come up and she has some of that really strong perfume. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like just had a, it wasn't like a bad smell, but it's just really strong. And I remember she'd come up and she did the whole like squeeze my cheeks thing. And then she would, she would do something with her hands, of like, like, God loves you. Like, she would do this thing, right? God loves you. And I, I, I remember that. You know, I would have been probably four, five, six years old at the time, right? So that's where it started for me, but it didn't get personal for me until middle school. There was a season when I decided that God and, and church and the world, or God and church and Jesus were just, they weren't for me. It was causing me more, more hardship, actually, at school, then I feel like it was worth. And so there was a season where I just kind of said, forget this, right? And walked away. And in my walking away from Jesus, somehow my parents convinced me, maybe forced me, I don't know, to go to this camp back in 2001 up in Washington State. And that was the place where I knew, I knew that God was chasing me. And he had to get me 100 miles north or whatever, surrounded by a bunch of people I never met before or knew before, to finally encounter me. And it was at that moment that it became very personal. And for me, so much of the gospel and coming to Jesus was a message of, I know who you are and I accept you. And I'm inviting you to know me more. It was a message of acceptance and it changed my life. Like I, I look back to that moment as like a bookmark in my life of when Jesus became real. And I'd be curious to hear your story. We don't have the time this morning, right? But we all have a story in terms of how we've come to know Jesus or how maybe we're even running away from him right now, if we were honest. Or maybe we, we, we have the sense of, I, I think God is pursuing me right now, but I'm not really sure what to do with that. And if any of that resonates with you, you're in the right place. Because one of the things I'm pumped about in our church is, is we're a church that invites people to belong just as they are, bro. Just show up as you are. There's, there's a stigma in churches where we feel like we gotta, we gotta get all of our stuff together and then show up, right? But like the gospel doesn't work that way. Jesus meets people where they're at. Look at the disciples. When he invited them to follow him, were they perfect? Did they have all their stuff together? No. But there was a willingness to repent. There was a willingness to trust. 
And that's where it all starts, doesn't it? Because they moved from just belonging as they were to believing in Jesus. This is the, the Son of God, the Messiah. And the right response to that is to give my life to him, to follow him. And in that following of him, we call that word discipleship. Discipleship just means like we follow Jesus, right? He started to change them. And he unleashed them to go and to spread the good news to the rest of the world. Here we are 2,000 years later, just continuing to tell that story, right? And so I just want to encourage us today that there is light at the end of the tunnel. I feel like some people just need to hear that this morning. And even if you don't fully believe it, that's okay. Whatever your darkness, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And the reason why I can say that so confidently and boldly is because of Jesus. Hope starts and stops with Jesus. There's an end in sight. There's a better tomorrow. For some of us, the darkness of that tunnel, it's, it's just the aging of my body and, and, and sickness. I mean, how, how many people that, that we interact with are just there? They have, they have ailments, physical ailments. That's tough. It's hard. Uh, the rising of inflation, right? For, for like my generation, this is probably the most significant time that we've ever had. For those who, who have a little bit more gray on your, on your head or maybe less hair up here, you think back to the 80s, right? When it was crazy then. But that has people just kind of freaked out a little bit. You look at just our city and the homelessness and the drug addiction and the mental health crisis and the list goes on and on and on. Bro, you look at like your mortgage payments, your house payment, like your 30-year fix is locked in, but like that property tax just keeps going up. And now my, my monthly payment's up or my rent just went up a big amount. Like, holy smokes, how can I afford this? The uncertainty that, that we live in which I would even argue isn't necessarily different than it's ever been. I just think we feel it more now. But there's just tons of problems, right? The violence in our, in, in, in our city. You, you in your own life, you, you feel like a failure. There was a divorce. Your kids, there's an estrangement there. Your career's not turning out the way you thought it would. Your, your stats aren't looking the way you hoped they would, right? There's so many different ways that we would measure success for ourselves. We just maybe feel like a failure. But there's two questions I want us to raise this morning, and that is, what is the hope that Jesus offers today, and what is the hope that Jesus offers tomorrow? Those are the two questions. Very simple. What's the hope that Jesus answers, or what's the hope that he offers today, as in like right now, and then what's the hope that Jesus offers that isn't yet accessible, but it's in the future, right? Because hope is both of those things for Jesus, now, some thoughts that might be in the room this morning, some of us here might be like, you know, I believe God offers hope. Like, I, I believe it is like an idea, but like, I just, I can't see it. Like, I, I just, I, like, I, I just don't know what it, what it looks like that God offers hope. Or you might even say, dude, like, my hope is in God. I just need a little reminder this morning. I've had some hard stuff happen. I just, I need a refresher on this thing of finding hope in Jesus. Or maybe for some here today, you're like, dude, like I've tried Jesus. Like it just, it didn't work out, right? And there might even be a little bit of jadedness and baggage to it. And if that's you, any of those or something else, God sees you, God knows you, God loves you, and God is inviting every one of us to hope again. The question is, will we turn to Jesus? 
Will we turn to Jesus? Steve Cuss, in, in one of his books, he, he makes the, the case that anxiety is one of the only mental health disorders that is contagious. Think about that for a moment. A bipolar, schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder, the DSM, all the different diagnoses. Like, like anxiety is one of the only ones that is contagious. And a, a, a case in point would be like you walk in a room and like there's just kind of this sense that like no one really knows what's going on. And there's just kind of like this, this, just kind of this, this anxiousness, this ambient anxiety, right? And that, that can spread to other people. And if you've ever walked into a room that's like that, or, or maybe a friend calls you up on the phone and something really hard happened in their life and they start telling you about it and they just sound really worked up. Like sometimes you get off that phone call and you're like, I need to go take a walk now. I'm all tense now, right? It's fascinating, isn't it? And so if that's true, I would also argue that things like hope are contagious. In other words, that, that people that have a groundedness in something real and a groundedness in something better, and those both have to happen, right? Because there's people out there that it's wishful thinking, it's pie in the sky. It's like, bro, like, you're not on planet Earth right now. Like, do you know what's happening in Ukraine right now? You know, it's not an absence from reality, but it's a full embracing of where I'm at and it's something from outside of me penetrating in to move me towards a better future. Hope. Or the way that Larry Osborne would put it in, in his book, Thriving in Babylon, holy optimism. Guys, we, we have the story. We have the story. We know how it ends. And I feel like maybe some people in the room just need to be reminded of this story and the hope and the light that God is offering us. And so one of the things that I, 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 I don't want to do in this series is give the sense that, okay, following Jesus makes my life easier and with less problems, okay? That's false hope I want to debunk right from the get-go. Following Jesus does not necessarily make your life easier or have less problems. Just look at the way that it turned out for the disciples, right? They got them killed. Roman culture is very different than our moment now, but we're in a bit of an ideological battle now, aren't we? Like, when we believe things that are, are Jesus, we can be accused of being way far right-winged or, or something else, right? Like, it, it's a different kind of battle that it actually brings us into. The hope today that, that I want to be talking about and over the next couple of weeks also is not a follow Jesus and get what you want. As a parent now, it's so fascinating how much I'm learning about what it must be like for God to love me as I'm loving my kids because like Karis wants chocolate pancakes every morning. And if it's not chocolate pancakes, it's chocolate waffles. And some of y'all are, are laughing because you know my daughter and how just adorable she is. And it gets hard to say no to that, right? But there's a sense in me, I'm like, man, if, if I just keep giving you chocolate pancakes and waffles and chocolate milk in the morning, like, like at some point, this, this probably isn't gonna be good for your health, right? And so, Part of trusting Jesus and the hope he offers is actually just trusting God that he knows better and that whatever he gives me is actually for my good. It may not be what I necessarily want though, right? And so another thing I love about my kids is, man, they're just highly curious. Raise your hands if, 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 if you have kids or you're around kids and, and it's just so fun to see their curiosity. Yeah. Like when I took Karis to the zoo a couple weeks back, my wife was in Indiana seeing some family and um, we've been to the zoo before. We've probably been there, I don't know, four or five times with her. But it's like everything is new again. Everything. Those little 
walking sticks in the insect area, like all this stuff, right? And so I want to just encourage us as we dive into the scriptures now to be curious with me. Be curious with me this morning about the hope that Jesus wants to offer you. Be curious about it. Be inquisitive. Be open. And we're going to look at this in light of the larger biblical story, the larger biblical story of hope as light, but then we're going to zoom into the life of Jesus in John chapter 1. Okay, that's where we're headed for the rest of our teaching time this morning. And so if, if you have your Bibles, we're going we're to fly through Genesis to Revelation and pull out a couple places where light comes up in the larger biblical story to set the framework before diving into Jesus. Okay, so I'm gonna, we're going to fly through this. Okay, so Genesis chapter 1, very beginning of your Bible, okay? Like the third verse in the entire Bible, what happens? In verse 3, God speaks and he says, what? Let there be light. And what happens? Light happens. And it's so fascinating. I'm not a scientist by any stretch of the measure, but like when you start learning more and more of what we as humanity are learning about the universe, it's, it's amazing how it's expanding. What is, I don't know how it all happened, but God spoke, light came into existence. And that tells us one thing for sure, is God is the author of light. God, at the very beginning, whatever that was like and what that looked like, was darkness, there was absence, there was a vacuum, whatever. Like God, God spoke. And then the fancy word for that, the Latin would be ex nihilo, out of nothing. God spoke, and there was light. Genesis 1-3. But then we move down the biblical story. God creates man and women in his image, image bearers of him, to co-labor with him and adding value to the world. Of course, we know that they take the freedom, the free will that God had given them. They abuse it. They disobey. Sin enters the world. Separation, hardship, suffering, the curse. All that is Genesis chapter 3. And then in verse 24, after he drove the man out of the garden, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Do you see the imagery of light? Flashing. When sin entered the world, God had to use light to actually keep Adam and Eve away from the core of his presence, arguably, the garden of Eden, right? Sin's ugly, bro. We've all experienced it. The hardship in relationships, the, anything that, that falls short of God's perfect will for our lives, right? It's a mess. But then we see as we jump into the next book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13, we have the Israelites have been delivered from Egyptian oppression. Some 400 years they were there in slavery. We know the story. And it says, in chapter 13, verse 20 through 22, the Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. And this allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. This is mind-blowing. In the midst of God's creation, his people who rebelled against him, he's, he's, he's getting really creative ways to preserve like, his perfection and his holiness while loving his people and being with them. Read the book of Leviticus. 
It's extremely boring, yes. But when you see the why behind it, you see, holy smokes, look at the, the extent God went to to make people right with him. If you see it that way, it's way more redemptive. You should give it a shot. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. There's this beautiful benediction. We sing a song that is literally these words verbatim. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turns his face towards you and he gives you peace. Right? This is something that, that would be spoken over the people as a blessing, as a benediction. May the Lord's face shine upon you. We see light again. That God wants to, to bless us. He wants us to thrive in the ways that he's laid out in Scripture. Psalm 27, jumping into the Psalms now. Psalm chapter 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Stronghold was a place of, of refuge, it's a place of safety. If someone felt like their life was being threatened, they could go to the, the stronghold and then find safety, security. In one sense, it might be like acquiring a, a, a massive savings account as a way of having some, some margin that if, if something happens, that the hot water heater goes out, the van blows up, whatever, like, like it's not going to ruin my life, right? But the thing that this, this, this verse tells us, Psalm 27.1, the psalmist looks to the Lord. He looks to Yahweh. He looks to God as light. God is the stronghold. He's the safe place. It's not found in another person. It's not found in money. It's not found in real estate. None of those are bad things by any means. I own a home, right? But at the end of the day, all that is kind of like shifting sand, isn't it? The only guarantee, the only sure, founded, stable being to build our life on and to hope in is God. Who's speaking there? I'm not sure. I didn't do my homework in, in depth on Psalm 27. It could have been David. David wrote a lot of the Psalms, but a little bit of homework would have revealed that. Psalm 119, 105. Check this out. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. This is why we as a church, we put so much stock in Scripture because it's God's love letter to us. It's his guide on how to know him. It's his clarity of, of the mission we have as the church. But it's also a moral compass. Like, like God has things he wants us to do and to not do that we learn from Scripture. And that's light. It gives direction for our lives. Daniel 2, 22, the prophet Daniel. Man, we know his life, right? That the people of Israel and the people of Judah just continually walk away from God and God time and time and time again told them, come back to me or it's going to get really bad. And they don't. What happens? They get forced into exile. Daniel, along with some of his other homies, they get deported to Babylon, to the capital city. And probably because of their, their leadership capacity and potential, their intellect, their looks, the king said, bro, I want you to be in my place and I'm going to teach you and I'm going to form you in my ways. And in that place, Daniel says something pretty cool. He talks about, in verse 22, he says, And God reveals deep and hidden things, and he knows what lies in darkness, and light 
dwells in him. If there was someone that was in a really dark spot at this moment, deported from your, your country of origin to this, this foreign place, pagan place, like the name that Daniel's given, Belshazzar, is actually a name of one of the pagan demons that the Babylonian Empire would have worshipped. I mean, it's, it's pretty messed up, man. It is, it is pretty messed up. And yet, in the midst of all that darkness, Daniel is light because God lives in him. And Daniel doesn't compromise his life for the ways of the pagan nations, does he? But it's fascinating. He, he respects them, but he doesn't compromise with them. And what a word for our cultural moment we live in just a continually post-Christian secular world, right? Like, like living in, in, with respect, but also not conformity. And Daniel finds that God's light is what penetrates the darkness. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus' words, the Sermon on the Mount, speaking to the crowd that was there. Some of them were, were just kind of curious about him. Some of them were actually following Jesus. His disciples likely would have been there. And from that audience, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And it's this beautiful reminder that Jesus wants us to follow him, Jesus the light, so that we can let his light shine through us. It's really simple, isn't it? Fast forward all the way to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, verses 20. 2 through 24. This is the, uh, the apostle John, arguably, who wrote the gospel of John, writes Revelation, has this vision, writes it down, book of Revelation. Revelation, uh, um, apocalyptic literature, just simply means like, like peeling back the layers to see what's happening in the spiritual place where God dwells to give us an informed way to live, right? <clears throat> Chapter 21, verse 22. I did not see, this is John speaking, a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. That's cool. And the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor in. It's crazy, dude. Like, I, just, I can't, my brain cannot wrap around what, what, what God is telling us here. That like, in, in perfectly restored new creation, like, there's no more sun. I don't know what that means. But what I do know is that the lamb, which is symbolic of Jesus, right? He's the lamb that was slain. He is the light, so again, just by way of, of summary, from Genesis all the way through the, the brokenness of humanity and God's redemption with broken humanity to Jesus, all the way to where we're moving towards in, in new creation, there's this thread of light. And God is light. And though God reveals light in the abstract, his light is known in the personal. And now we turn to the life of Jesus. John chapter 1 the life of Jesus. In light of that large biblical story of, of light and the hope that God brings, let's look at the life of Jesus. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word 
But yeah, yeah. And he existed in the beginning with God. Next slide. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everyone that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Let's pause there. Verse 1 and 2, okay? This is, this is John, the, 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 the apostle of Jesus, one of the apostles, his prologue to, to the gospel, which is the, the life account of Jesus. And he says, Jesus is eternally God. That's what he's saying. Verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, we just talked about light being spoken into existence, right? In that beginning, Jesus was there. And this is, I think, confident building for us to recognize that if, even like all the other religions in the world and different philosophies and ideologies of life or whatever, one of the cool things about Jesus is he, he just rises above all of them. He has always been, he will always be, and he is eternally God. Yet not in a distant, abstract, checked out sense, but he comes to dwell among us. I don't want to get ahead of myself. We're headed there. Verse 3 and 4, Jesus gave you life. Regardless of your, your status to God, if, you, if you're a born-again believer or not, God created you. Light gives life. Bro, just look at, look at the plants outside. Look at Jose's garden. Nutrients in the ground, water. And then light, and it grows. And I think this is just a simple reminder to us that, bro, you have value. And God loves you. And God made you in his image. And he wants to know you personally on an individual basis. And then collectively in a local church. Verse 5, Jesus' light cannot go out. Different political ideologies will come. Different movements will come and go. Jesus is here to stay, bro. That light does not extinguish. The light shines in darkness, and darkness can never extinguish it. Verse 6. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Okay. There's a lot of Johns going on here, okay? Chapters, or verses 6 and 7. There's John the Baptist, and then there's like John the Apostle, okay? So John the Baptist is, is, is just that. He, he's the guy that, that was born to, to one of Mary's relatives, baptizes Jesus, and he testified, he shared to people, this is the Messiah, right? He had a personal encounter with Jesus. He got to baptize him. That's pretty cool. Look at the apostle John. John was called by Jesus to follow him, and he does. And Jesus changed his life. And when John writes his gospel, it's, it's many decades after Jesus has ascended to heaven, and he had personal encounter with Jesus as he's writing these things. So both Johns, the Baptist and the apostle, they're telling the story about the lights. And that's one of the cool things the church do, don't we? We share with each other what the light has done in our lives. 
And the beauty of it is depending on, on your story, your background, your experience, your socioeconomic status, your education, all this stuff, like, like the stories look very different, don't they? But there's one unified theme, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus accepting you as you are, inviting you to believe in him in deeper ways, and then encouraging you to become more like him, as revealed through scripture, right? Verse 8 John says that we are not the light, but Jesus is through us. I think this matters. So as to avoid arrogance or pride and saying, look how cool I am, like anything good that comes from our life is a work of God. It's God working through us. He is the light shining through us. And it's so fun, even thinking of like, um, just, just during the week, like in the Immigrant Connection office or with, with our neighbors in the street, like when they... When they ask us, like, hey, like, just tell me more about why you do what you do. Like, like, I love that question. It doesn't happen a lot, but when it comes up, I just love saying things like, yeah, we run an immigration office through our church because we really believe that God values the immigrants, and we want to partner him in welcoming those in our neighborhood. Or something like that. And it's just, it's cool to, to just point back to Jesus, right? He is the light. Verse 10 through 14. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up now too. Verse 10 through 14. Jesus came, he came to the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Okay. Each one of us has a choice to make. And Jesus, or John, the apostle here is very clear. We have the choice to accept or reject Jesus. It's quite black and white. There's really no middle ground there. You accept him or you reject him. The journey to get to Jesus, sure, is quite complex. Awesome, I'm for that. But at some point, we have to choose the light and to let the light into our hearts and to own the fact that, that I've, I've permitted or I've intentionally engaged in, in darkness. And, and I really want Jesus' light to come in and cleanse that and clean that up. Now, when I say these words, I, don't, I do not say them with condemnation. I say them with invitation. That Jesus invites each of us, each of you here today, myself, to step out of darkness and into his light. But we have to choose it. Will you accept the light of life or will you reject it? Verse 12 and 13, Jesus offers hope of rebirth and renewal. This is so, so important. Because like, I gave my life to Jesus back in 2001. It wasn't just like a one and done deal. It was the beginning of a journey to know Jesus more. And in the ups and the downs of my own unfaithfulness to him. He is gracious to be there, to meet me 
and to invite me to repent and to follow him again, right? Reborn, new life, renewal, transformation. It's what Jesus does when we accept him. In verse 14, just a reminder of the character of God in Jesus. He's full of love and he's full of faithfulness. I think both of those really matter. Because for so much of us, our, our perspective of the word love is so informed by our human relationships. And unfortunately, believe it or not, humans are flawed, huh? God's love is unlike any other love we've experienced this side of heaven. And it is his kindness. Ken prayed this this morning over the team. I loved it. It is his kindness that leads to repentance. Will you let the light of life in today? A couple, couple ideas to put this into practice. And then we're going to sing one closing song before munching down on some good food out here and letting the kids bounce in the, the bounce house. A couple ways to put in this practice. Number one, continue to be curious about Jesus. Continue to be curious about Jesus. I'm launching a, a men's life group the first week of October. I'm still chatting with some of the guys to find a time that's going to work well. But one of, one of the goals of this, this dude's group, this guy's group, is, is to create a place where we can just be curious about like each other's stories and then curious about how Jesus is inviting us to grow at where we're at. It's a show up as you are thing and become curious about what God doing in light of life right now, right? So be curious. The second thing would be receive the light of life. Maybe there's someone in the room or a couple in the room that, that it's been a long time since you and God have, have just connected. And maybe today in this final song, from the comfort of your pew, or maybe you want to come up here if that matters to you, whatever. But today you're just sensing God just drawing you in again. Say, come home. Come home. And I would invite you, if you're sensing God, if you're sensing the Holy Spirit nudge you in that, don't be freaked out by it. Be encouraged by that. God really stinking loves you. And he wants to take the next step with you in your journey with him. The last idea to put this into practice is spread the light. Spread the light. For those in the house that you've been walking with Jesus, you are walking with Jesus, and you just, sometimes you get a little overwhelmed. I know I feel like that, you get overwhelmed with, with all the darkness that's in the world right now. You're just kind of like, ah! Be encouraged, be reminded. You are not fabricating and making up some sort of light and hope. We just have to be messengers and doers of the light. And so whatever sector of society you find yourself, a small business owner, working in a warehouse, a parent, a, a, a grandparent in the retired season, like wherever you find yourself, I think, I think that the question Jesus would, would want us to ask is, how, how can I spread your light, Jesus, to other people? And so that's the word today. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped, church. I'm pumped for what God is doing here. I think there's some really exciting things ahead of us as we enter this, this series of, of hope happens here. And so I'm going to turn it over to Johan for a final song um, before we leave for potluck.
Hey, thanks for joining us. Our passion is to know and share God's heart, and we're so glad that we're able to do that with you today. If you'd like to visit us in person, please visit our website at www.columbiaview.org for directions. We'll see you next week.